Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Ready to dig in? All right, grab your notes, uh, your journal, your app, whatever it is, how you do this space. We are in week five of a series. uh, We're calling the series Resilient. And what we're doing right now, this is kind of my nomenclature, my language for this. We're having important conversations about the integration of real faith with real life. We are talking about how to build a resilient faith uh, with the whole idea of um, all that the world is throwing at us. So all of our twists, all of the turns, all the uncertainties of life, how does God uh, meet us there in his power and his mercy and his grace? And here's what we're learning. Um, This is what we're learning uh, around this. God actually wants to meet us there. He wants to meet us in this space. This is actually what authentic Christian faith is. I almost want to say this, and this is what I do sometimes when I speak. I teach the, the younger pastors how to do this. When you say things like this, I almost want to say it, and you say it, you said it. No, follow me. I'm teaching you how I do this. This is how the sausage is made. Okay? I let go. If I say, I almost want to say, and then I say, I just said. Get it? So if I want to say something challenging, I'll say, I almost want to say this, and then I say it. Guess what? I said it. All right, I'll move on. But so I almost want to say this. If you have a faith right now that is not prevailing, that is not helping you with all the twists and turns and uncertainties of life. The question could arise, do I really have an authentic Christian faith? Notice how I just said it? Because here's what I find when I read the scriptures. Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to give you a prevailing faith. This is something we can experience. God wants to give it to us. And we've been building around this idea. So this this is a really important concept, an important conversation. Now, let's orient to where we are because I'm going to move us in a new direction today. So here's what we've been saying. We've been saying this. We believe that God has given us a soul that he longs to fill with his divine resilience. So it's possible for every follower of Jesus to have a divine resilience in our spirit that God has given to us. Uh, And we've said this, this is really good news. Here's some other good news. We have said this, genuinely receiving Jesus as Lord is all that's required to get you to heaven. When you come to a moment of decision in your own life and you say, Lord, it's not my inherent goodness that is going to gain for me heaven. And we recognize all that Jesus has done for us uh, on the cross and then coming off the cross, going into the grave, and then coming out of the grave, when we, when we give emotional and mental assent to that reality and to that truth, the Bible says something very mysterious and powerful happens. Real life, eternal life, comes into our spirit. And right there, we have received all that we need to receive to go to heaven. But here's kind of the bad news or the challenging news in a way. That's not all that's required to get heaven into you. And so what we're learning right now, that the the whole Christian experience, we're trying to help us and point at it in this direction. It's not about trying harder. Someone say amen. Amen. It's about training in the faith. And so just like our physical muscles, if you want to look like Lynn's does and like I do, (laughs) okay, 
what you have to do is you have to, you have to work your muscles out. Uh, physical muscles need a workout. They need resistance. And when there's the appropriate levels of resistance and workout, those muscles strengthen. Your faith is the same way. It's the same way. This is why Paul would say things like this. We should work out our salvation. We should perfect our holiness. What he's trying to say to us, what, what Paul is, 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 is helping us understand is that this is not about works righteousness and it's not about earning eternity. It's about getting eternity into you. Does that make sense? So that's the challenge. And here's the other good news about this. We can learn to make this happen. This is good news. We can learn to make this happen. And so really what we're talking about right now, Community of Hope, is orienting our understanding of the Christian faith where I think we've, we've talked a lot about belief over the years. And churches talk about belief. And belief is a really, really important thing. But belief, every single time, has got to be accompanied with dedicated and faithful action and responsibility to it. That's when our faith really sparks, that's when our faith really takes off. And so what I would love to see happening more and more and more and more at Community of Hope is that we would begin to think about not only right belief, but appropriate and corresponding right action with that belief. And if we do that together, and if we work on that together, here's what happens. The fruit just begins to take root in our life. This is super powerful for many of us, life-changing for most of us. This is the kind of thing. Now, here's what we've been thinking about. Last week, I believe if you were with us, we talked about mental resilience. You're not going to have a, 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 a resilient faith without understanding what mental resilience is. Now, we have um, this phrase, this idea, in a way, uh, is embedded in our culture. I used some examples out of athletics and out of professional sports last weekend where they're often talking about mental resilience. And so the idea could become, well, did they think of that first? No, we actually know that this goes all the way back to a little observation Paul the Apostle made in the book of Romans, his most uh, uh, complete work that he wrote in the New Testament, where in Romans 8, 6, he says this, the mind that is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and purpose. And he talks about, he uses this word governed. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But, but, but if we have a mind that is, look at this, governed by the spirit, notice capital S, that is life and peace. How many of you would say this morning, I want to experience real life while I'm here? How many of you want to say, I, I could use some more peace in my life? Some of you, I know, you should raise both hands. A few of you might want to stand right now, okay? So this is the kind of thing that, that where we're learning. But now what I want you to notice, last week, if, we, we, if you were with us, we, we took this idea of governed and we applied it to the mind. Because he also says mind twice. And so we focused on the mind and we looked at our thought life. And we looked at, really, we took, if you will, if you are with us last week, and I want to commend this message to you. If you've not listened to this, you need to go back and hear the full 
thing. But here's the crib notes of last week. We said this. Really what Paul's talking about, first of all, is that we ought to come to the place where I think, first of all, what we do is we um, take inventory of our thoughts uh, and we become familiar with the thoughts we have. When was the last time you took just a moment and maybe even jotted down, where are my thoughts taking me? Where are they taking me? Because I want to tell you, whatever is occupying your mind is clouding your heart, if you haven't figured that out. So every now and again, so we said really the first class we ought to take, if we're going to learn mental resilience, class number one, we should just all take an inventory every now and again about our thought life, where our thought's taking us. Secondly, we said this, if you want to go to an intermediate class, Paul says this, we can actually learn how to take every thought captive. The full verse of that is this, that we would take every thought, Paul says, captive to the obedience of Christ. So this is really a mid-level course for us. What, is it, what does it mean? We're, we're, we're going to learn more about this idea of consecration. In fact, before I send you out today, I'm going to pray a consecrating prayer over you about the topic we're going to discuss in just a moment. And the, and the third level course, the upper level course, is that it's possible to think better thoughts. Paul said it this way, we could change how we live by changing the way we think. This is super possible for us. So what we're going to do this morning, because we talked about mental resilience last week, what I want to offer to you this morning is I want to offer to you a corresponding idea, and we're going to talk this morning about emotional resilience. We have to have both. We want to have mental resilience, but we want that mental resilience, we want the thought life, we want the taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ to move us toward better emotional resilience. And here's what I would tell you in case you haven't figured it out. We are living in a cultural moment right now where we are not doing emotional resilience very well. Can I get an amen to that? It seems like we are experiencing record levels of anxiety out there, record levels of anger, record levels of tension, and it all points back to mental resilience and or emotional resilience. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to take you to a very emotional part of Scripture, a very emotional moment in the life of our Lord Jesus and his disciples, and I think there's a lesson for us in this story and in this narrative, and we're going to tease it out of the text this morning. It's right in front of us. So if you've got your Bible or you've got your app, we're going to Matthew chapter 16. We're picking it up uh, at verse uh, 21, and we're going to read down to verse 28. And now, here's what we've been doing, right? This is what we've been doing, because um, you don't need my opinion, as great as it is. You don't need my opinion, but we're all here, me included, to get God's opinion on our life. We need the Spirit's opinion. So what we're doing when we're talking about God's opinion, we're honoring that. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to stand again. I like when we do this. Do you all like when we do this? We're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, right? God is here. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. He writes this. Uh, or, uh, the gospel Matthew uh, writer says this. He says, from time to time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must suffer, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Okay, wow. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Lord, never, never, he said, this shall never, ever happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to him, I think in corresponding emotion, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, uh, have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, a very provocative thing. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then will reward each person according to what they've done. And truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. God, use this word to teach us of your life-giving power. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, here's what I want us to think about for a few moments, okay? This is a significant, significant moment in the Gospels. It's really one of the, I think, uh, one of the most emotional moments outside of, you know, Jesus' betrayal and uh, his arrest and his crucifixion and then his resurrection. I think outside of that, this would be one of those moments. Uh, When you read all of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus just uh, says he's, uh, to the disciples, he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He begins to point this idea, his teaching, toward eternal things. And then after he points toward eternal things, he tells them not to tell anybody. So, hey, this is our little secret. And then we get pick up with what we read just now. He's telling him that he is, in fact, the Messiah, He commands him not to tell anyone. And then he says this really provocative, really uh, rocking kind of thing. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die there. And they can't handle it. Now, let's think about why they can't handle it. I mean, they've given their lives to follow him. Uh, They're learning some different things. They're just all embedded. They're, They're like all in in this. And Jesus is telling them they're going to Jerusalem. This is at the part of Jesus' ministry right now where um, there's a lot of popularity, but the tension is rising. And the disciples, no doubt, I think, feel the tension. And I think really what Peter was probably reacting to, some scholars I was looking at kind of point toward this way, that Jesus, just by the very mention that he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, that freaked Peter out. Because he's already going, if, we go to, if you go to Jerusalem, like stuff could happen there. And I think in a way, Peter was saying, stuff could happen there to you. And um, stuff could happen there to me to us, and he rebukes him. Now, here's the thing. So there's a lot of emotion there. There's a, there's a lot of emotion, and this is what I want to point to sort of in this deal. One, this is one of the most emotional moments in Jesus' life and ministry outside of his uh, betrayal and his death. Now, here's what I want to say. Pause. Emotions, right, are a rich part of the human experience. Uh, I think we have been created to feel things because when we feel things, they add a tremendous value to life, right? When we feel, when we live in a moment, 
there's a tremendous value to that experience. I was writing uh, some things down. Um, One author I know says it this way. He says, it is our emotions that allow us to feel most fully alive and to experience life in all of its fullness. And I wrote some things down. Belly laughing with a friend, right? Standing in awe at the beauty of a national forest, right? Beth and I went to Yellowstone a few summers ago. We went to this, I think it's called the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. It's on the south part of the, the trail. And, and we saw, Beth, you probably remember this, right? We saw this and we got so emotional about it. It was, it, it, it was so beautiful, it didn't even look real. And so something, sometimes like that. How about this? Feeling the pride well up when you see one of your children accomplish something of value that they want to do. Sorrow and reverence standing in a national cemetery when taps are played. Feeling lightheaded and filled with joy the first time you tell your would-be spouse you're in love and they respond in kind. There's something powerful about emotions that are, that are, that are just, it's woven into us. I have a friend of mine, I was thinking of this story, and uh, he was a guy back in, in the day when I was, uh, first went to seminary, he had some influence in my life. He was a Great guy ahead of me in seminary, man of God, serving a church. And I was talking to him one day. He was telling me about when he proposed to his wife. Beth and I were getting a little serious, and I was taking some notes from some friends, you know, like, how did you do it? And and he told me, he said, well, when I decided to propose, he said, I walked my my would-be wife out in front of the, the, the seminary, and there's this beautiful bench. It's this beautiful setting. And he said, I sat down, and, and he said, there comes that powerful moment. I got down on my knee. And I proposed to her, and she said yes. And the minute she said yes, listen to this, he said, I got so overcome with emotion, I didn't, I felt like I'm losing control. And he said, I, I did, I did the only thing I could think to do. And I said, let's pray. <laughs> and so he said, I'm praying, I'm praying in this moment. She's just said yes, we're going to be husband and wife. And he said, I prayed this prayer. I don't even know what I prayed. And when I got through praying, he said, and I went to raise my, my head, I realized I was crying and all this stuff is coming out of my eyes and stuff is coming out of my nose and there's this long (laughs) thing. And then he said, I opened my eyes and he said, I got horrified at that and I went like this and it wrapped itself around my head. (laughs) I remember when he said that, I I scratched that off the list and (laughs) said, do not pray when I ask Beth to be my wife. Emotions are an incredible thing. Um, Jesus had a lot of emotion. Listen to this. Uh, Jesus had emotion, um, and um, he was, I'm just going to move ahead. He, he modeled all the full range of emotions. Uh, in fact, if I find it in my notes, this is what I would say. He experienced joy and sorrow. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He grieved over the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. He also laughed with his friends. He could be surprised. He could be irritated. Sometimes he could be angry. Jesus modeled the full range of healthy emotions. Here's what I want you to notice. But he never let his emotions govern him. He governed his emotions. That is not what's happening in our moment. We have somehow become a nation. We have somehow become a world that feels that whatever emotion I experience, 
I can spew that onto any other person around me, either uh, in person or online. And here's what I would tell you. This very practice alone is tearing at the fabric of our nation. And if I were going to be really challenging what I would say, notice, notice that I'm about to say it, I watch it go on within the body of Christ. Uh, We're in a fight in our denomination. I'm going to lead us out of our denomination because um, I'm watching both sides tear at each other in a long historical fight over years, and I don't want to be a part of that. And I'm just going to tell you very plainly and very honestly, um, the church I've given my life to and my wife has given her life to is not going to be a part of that kind of narrative and rhetoric. We're not going to do it. And God is asking for something more of us than that. And I I think what I really want to point to uh, in this moment, uh, in fact, I was thinking about John Eldridge makes a quote, and I'm going to put it up here. Look at what John Eldridge says about this. He says, um, years in the comfort culture made us emotionally soft. If we don't feel like doing something, we don't do it. If we don't feel like believing in something, we don't believe it. And folks like to call this authenticity, but it's really just adolescence. (laughs) Boom, boom. And when we look at the life of Jesus in this moment, I think there's some very, very powerful things that Jesus says to us in this story that he embraced and I want to point them out to you. The first thing I want us to notice is, is simply this uh, point. Our hearts don't immediately often line up with the truth, even when it's right in front of us. Do you see that in the text? Look at verses 21 and 22 real quickly. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, you must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Lord, Lord, he said, that shall never happen to you. Can I just pause here for a moment and ask you this question? What if Peter was right? What if Jesus said, you know, you got a point. Maybe I don't want to do that. I mean, do you see what's at play? And, and, and what I want us to know, if we're going to have emotional resilience in our lives, here's what we have to do. Before we get all spun up, before we light the room on fire, before we torch our social media, here's what I would suggest we do. Leave just a little space that you might be wrong. I think that's part of what maturity looks like. I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says later, you know, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child. And when I became a man, I put away childish things. Here's another thing. I see in the text this idea. I think there will always be times when saying yes to God means saying no to yourself. 
In fact, let me just do a little test. You don't have to, you don't have to stand up. I'm not going to call you out. Okay? We're filming this. We don't want you to be on film. Okay? Um, I think every now and again you want to do an inventory about your faith and ask yourself the simple question, where is your faith requiring that you would say no? I won't do that. I won't say that. I won't be a part of that. That's not my fight. That's not my argument. That's not my tension. That's not my thing. And I want to tell you, I think in some ways, directly proportionate to your growing discipleship is your growing obedience to say no. When I was young in the ministry, I began to notice that there were some guys that I was tracking behind in the ministry, some, some of whom I respected, who fouled out of ministry. In the heat of an emotional moment, we talk about suicide, and sometimes I think they use the word halt. If I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that's a great question to ask yourself about your spiritual life. These guys made a moment, a wrong decision in a moment, cost them everything. I was talking to Pastor George one day, he was my best friend. And I said to him on the phone, I said, um, how do we skip that chapter? I said, I'd like to skip that. And we had some accountability around some things in our lives. We made a list. I put a list on a three-by-five card. I put it in my wallet. And I carry it with me to this day. Things I've just pre-decided to say no to. No. I think the Spirit of God is saying to some of us in this room right now, you're not ever going to have emotional resilience until you say no to that. Yeah. One other thing. I want us to always remember that... Um, the loudest desires of your heart are seldom the deepest desires of your heart. For some of us listening, what you think it is, it isn't. And what you think will It won't. You have been created. Your mind, your body, and spirit has been created to have a dynamic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. Look at the verse related to this very quickly. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me 
will find it? For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You have a soul. God longs to fill with his divine resilience. And if you will tune your life up toward that, you will come to understand on this side of eternity what eternal life on earth actually is. Jesus, please, please help us to make the right decisions before us is life and death. Help us choose life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here's what I want to do. God is here. And uh, so we're going to pray a prayer out. I'm going to pray a prayer over you that I've been praying a little bit. And what I want you to do is maybe in this posture, here's our posture. And uh, I want to pray this over you. So Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends that they would be able to, in this moment, consecrate their emotional life to you. God, all of us in this space and listening, we bring you our feelings. We bring them under your rule and your alignment in Jesus' name. I ask you to help me be of one mind and one heart with you. And I invite now your Holy Spirit into our emotional life. Lord, right now, let us receive your joy, your courage, your hope, and your healing. In Jesus' name, we resist the lies of the enemy and the cries of our culture to let our emotions lead us. We govern them now in the name of Jesus Christ. We bring our thoughts captive to your obedience. We bring our emotions captive to your obedience. And we ask that they might be governed by your Holy Spirit. We are not in control. You are in control. You run the universe, and we ask you to govern our lives now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Might it be done. Go in his grace and his mercy. We'll see you next weekend.